for Thursday, May 20th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the coronavirus has many people thinking about the health and well-being of the nation's public health system. So it's definitely an opportunity to help bring attention to the work that has been done, but also the work that needs to be done long-term to support the system overall. Adrian Castellotti with the National Association of County and City Health Officials joins me to discuss the recent announcement of a big investment intended to make that system stronger. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Public health agencies around the country headed into the pandemic at less than full strength. That's because of years of budget cuts, says Adrian Casalotti with the National Association of County and City Health Officials. But last week, the Biden administration announced more than $7 billion for those agencies to fight COVID-19 and future outbreaks. Casalotti says it's a big deal, and she's with me now to discuss why. Adrian, thanks for talking with me. Absolutely. So, I think people who have been paying attention have maybe heard this narrative that for years now, public health agencies all over the country and even at the federal level have had budget cuts and that that's really affected their ability to respond to the current crisis we're dealing with, the pandemic. But I want to go back maybe even further than that, if we could. Was there ever kind of like a good old days when it was kind of generally agreed that public health was something worth funding and not cutting? the budgets for? We can't quite point to a heyday of public health funding um, and appreciation. You know, our organization has been keeping track of this since around 2008 when we had the Great Recession. Um, We've been able to see what changes have happened between then and now. With the recession, we saw local and state budgets hit very hard. And so all functions of local government were really impacted by it. But the challenge is, is that over time, as we've moved away from the recession, Other facets of local government have recovered, but public health really hasn't rebounded. And can we put those kind of cuts in 2008 into some sort of perspective? I mean, were public health budgets generally cut, I don't know, in half, by a quarter? Like, how deep were those cuts? So a lot of this depends. You know, we have nearly 3,000 local health departments across the country. When we look at things on average, as of 2019, walking into the pandemic, at best, local health department budgets were flat over time, um, but we've seen in some areas uh, cuts 
30 40% from what they had in 2008. For example, thinking about how much we spend per person in our health departments, for large local health departments in 2008, they were spending on average $50 per person that they were supposed to care for. By 2019, that number was down to $39 per person. For medium local health departments uh, in 2008, they were at $43 per person. Uh, by 2019, they were down to $37 per person. Small health departments, that's where uh, they've pretty much been flat over time. That doesn't mean that they are well-resourced. It's just they haven't been able to really expand what they've been doing. And those investments really translate into people and services. In the before times, what was that money that you've laid out? What services uh, was that going to? Sure. So to take it up a step, local health departments especially really fund themselves based on a lot of disease-specific grants. So you have a grant to work on diabetes. So that's where you get a diabetes educator or, or someone to work over there. And then you have uh, grants to work on vaccination or uh, vector control. So you're trying to address um, mosquito and tick-borne diseases, whatever those are. And you kind of braid those into a health department. The challenge when you lose funding is you lose the funding for all the pieces that really need to fit between those to have a well-functioning operation. So what we saw between the 2008 recession and 2019, as the funding gets tighter, as you lose some of the more discretionary funds a local health department can use, you lose positions that are the utility players who work across disease states and across aspects. So things like outreach workers, public information officer, so someone whose goal it is is to make sure that information is getting to the public, it's being communicated accurately so that individuals in the community know what's going on and what, what roles they play. Uh, folks like epidemiologists or um, data statisticians who really work across programs. Um, we've also lost a ton of public health nurses who weren't necessarily tied to one disease program, but who really worked across different areas. Those different jobs that I just listed are some of the jobs that are most critical in the pandemic. So it's those critical components, those utility players that really have been lost as you see disinvestment in public health uh, and the corresponding job losses that accompany it. And I want to dig into a little bit where this money comes from. I would imagine it's different from state to state, but here in Georgia, for example, I know that our state public health agency gets a certain amount of funding from the state government, a certain amount of funding from the federal government. So there's different kind of streams of money that these departments rely on. Absolutely. And that's the thing. When you get down to that local level, it's really trying to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together. So um, our research, um, and again, this is looking at it at a national level, and we know that varies a lot by state because there's a lot of decisions that states make around public health funding, but that about a quarter of the money comes from local sources, so local tax revenue. Uh, about 20% comes from state sources, 16% federal pass-through, which is federal investments, oftentimes through CDC. CDC gets money, and they send it out um, traditionally to states, territories, and about five really large big cities. And other than that, the rest of the local health departments are reliant upon their state to decide if, how much, when do any of those federal funds make it to the local health department level. So that's what that federal pass-through is. There are uh, non-clinical fees and fines. So you know, you go to a restaurant and you see, depending upon where it is, it has a number grade or a letter grade that's been inspected. Oftentimes that's the health department and there can be fees and fines associated with things like those restaurant inspections, those types of things. 
Some local health departments are able to bill um, for certain clinical work, um, especially things like vaccination, but that's pretty rare, actually. It takes a lot to stand up those systems when you're not um, doing clinical work all the time. Grants, private foundations, all of that kind of combines. You put all those pieces together, and that's how you fund your health department. What has kind of this lack of investment over the last decade, at least, meant for public health agencies going into the pandemic? I mean, I can think here in Georgia, we've maybe seen some things that other agencies around the country have seen. The public has seen the ways that our public health agency has maybe not been as on top of data, creating their own data system, sharing that data in timely ways. I imagine those are things that other health departments have dealt with. What we're seeing is the impact of years and years of triage. Even if you take it a step before COVID, when there were measles outbreaks in different pockets of the country, some, a disease that we eliminated um, decades ago, that's a prime example of public health issues don't go away, even if we don't have the time, attention, or resources to focus on them anymore. And vaccine hesitancy we now focus on, and confidence building is a real target. But for a long time, it was like, vaccines, check. We got that. We don't have to worry about certain diseases. We have to deal with these other emerging crises, but you don't have the money to really keep your attention on all of the public health challenges. For COVID, it meant that we started the largest public health challenge of hopefully any of our generations with fewer people, fewer resources to do the work. And something like a pandemic, it would be very difficult to have surge staffing built into your health department for something of this magnitude, right? And we hope we'd never have to do this again. But really, you had no one on the bench. We were talking to health departments. They were pulling their um, restaurant inspectors were doing contact tracing. Their environmental health workers, who oftentimes are working on things like Vector and other areas, they were answering phones to answer people's questions about you know, if they were exposed, where they should go, running testing sites. Um, you had an all-hands-on-deck approach. That's great, but what about all those public health issues they weren't dealing with at that time? And that's what we're really starting to try and turn people's attention to is, you know, even when we get through this pandemic, there are going to be close to two years at least worth of work that hasn't been done or it hasn't been done to the levels that it needs to be, and we're really going to have to pick up the pieces. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Adrian Casalotti with the National Association of County and City Health Officials. We're discussing a recent major investment in the nation's public health system announced by the Biden administration. And my understanding too, Adrian, is that as short-staffed and under-resourced as public health departments around the country were going into the pandemic, that the pandemic has put such a crunch on those resources. I'm thinking specifically about personnel, that those departments have been stretched even more, people leaving jobs, uh, specifically health directors leaving posts. Yeah, so there's a huge issue here around that. So one is all of a sudden people with public health expertise are very sought after. So the public health nurses that we desperately rely on in public health to kind of be the backbone of so many of our programs, all of a sudden hospitals and other sectors of healthcare are realizing what a great asset they are and they pay better, they have better hours and it's really hard to keep folks. There's also burnout, um, which is huge. Uh, Public health departments have been working on COVID since well before it became front page news. And so the same people, because again, you don't have a huge bench, the same people have been doing 
every stage of this operation and it's hard on them. It's hard on their families. And we definitely are seeing a lot of burnout with people leaving already or people saying, I'm just going to hang on till the end of this, but then I need to retire. I need to do something else. It's also really hard to fill these jobs because there's not just a bench of public health nurses or others who are just sitting waiting to be hired, right? Um, This is a long-standing pipeline issue as well. And then the point that you were talking about, local health officials, we've seen a great politicization of the response. We've seen people really put a lot of blame on public health officials and staff who are just trying to do whatever they can to keep their community safe based on what the evidence tells them and what the science directs them to do. They have been scapegoated in certain places by politicians. They have been threatened by people in their community. Their addresses have been given out. People have um, thrown rocks through windows of health departments. They've been, you know, verbally attacked. And at some point, people just walk away. They say they can't do this anymore or they're losing their jobs over, you know, standing up for the science when others are telling them they shouldn't be doing that. So that is a huge drain on the system. We're losing a ton of expertise. Uh, We've seen over 200 leaders of health departments leave for any combination of reasons over the course of the pandemic. Um, And that's not just devastating for the work that they're doing day in and day out now, but also means we're losing that expertise and talent that would be so valuable before the next big crisis hits. That gets us very nicely to this announcement last week uh, from the Biden administration to invest some $7 billion from the American Rescue Plan into giving this money to public health departments to fight the current pandemic and then prepare for future pandemics. Just kind of your general reaction to hearing this news and kind of what this new injection of funding could mean for public health around the country. Yeah, so this is a big deal, to put it succinctly. So the American Rescue Plan had significant amounts of money for COVID response itself, but then it carved out a specific amount, $7.6 billion in the, the law, that was specific for public health workforce. And the really key piece of this is it's not just tied to COVID. Um, and that's important because you know, COVID is with us right now, but it won't be with us forever. But the problems of the long depleted public health workforce will have ramifications for years to come. And we recognize that what we've seen in the past, whenever there's a public health crisis, eventually some funding gets pulled together for it. It goes into the system. And the moment that leaves the front pages of the newspapers, the funding goes with it. So we have this boom and bust cycle. And it's really hard to hire someone when you're like, I'm not sure if we'll be able to keep you next year. But maybe in five years, we might try to call you back. Like that's not a good way to staff up. It's not good for personnel and morale, but it's also kind of a waste of all the resources it takes to train people up. So The key to this funding being that, yes, it's related to COVID, but it can really be used um, in a longer term. It also has more years behind it. So sometimes federal funding comes and it has to be used up within a year. And by the time it physically leaves the agency, gets to a state, and the state decides what they're going to do with it, and any of it gets to the local health department, that can take months and months. And so you're really not working with a full year's worth of resources. Um, You're on a much more condensed time frame. So it's really critical that this was for more broad approach to public health workforce, as well as thinking about it in both the immediate and longer term. So it's absolutely huge. So last week there there was the announcement of you know some short term you know what needs to happen right this second. What are some things that are being developed, and how are we going to focus um, for something sustainable in the long term? And each one of those buckets was included in the announcement. 
that the White House made last week. Just if we can get a few examples of, you know, how someone hearing this might see both kind of the short term and long term uh, funding translate into services that they, you know, see in person. So what we see with this is it really has um, a couple different components, all of which are supposed to work together to support short-term, long-term bridge for public health workforce. So right away on Friday, we received the announcement that $2 billion was going out the door for public health workforce itself. So that's an incredible investment that can be helpful for COVID response, but also for the other positions that are necessary to do all the work that's going on in public health departments themselves. There are certain jobs like epidemiologists and um, data scientists and others who perform these core functions that are necessary. They're going to be launching a public health AmeriCorps program. So that's something that was talked a lot on the campaign trail, and there's a lot of interest in, um, in Congress around that. But that could provide a new way for um, young people to really come into service in health departments and in public health. So that um, that doesn't exist yet. That's going to be developed, but that that's really interesting. And then for you all down in Georgia, where you have CDC sitting right in your backyards, um, there is more um, focus on trying to beef up the programs that bring people through CDC into public health. That's really useful as well for future leaders. The long-term piece um, that we're particularly interested in is $3 billion to prepare for future pandemics and to create a program to modernize public health workforce across the board. And one of the key things we keep hearing about this is it's not going to be done in the traditional way, focusing on states and then seeing what, what trickles down, but really trying to find those most under-resourced health departments and building them up. And that's really important because when we think about funding, especially when there's limited funding, we oftentimes, which seems very rational, is have people um, submit applications, compete against each other, have, have the departments compete against each other. What happens is, is that those who don't have as many resources might not have great grant writers, but really they need the resources the most. Um, so this really gives us this promise to lift the most under-resourced health departments up so that we can all be more confident in the network of public health that supports us across the country. We started off by talking about the hole that a lot of health departments uh, were in going into the pandemic. Is this enough money to help these departments completely dig themselves out? So we'll see. Um, We need to see how it all shakes out about what can be done in the short term and then in the long term. The key is, is that the funds are not infinite, right, both in amount and also in time. This gives us a great opportunity to bridge forward, but we really do need to, as a nation, decide we are going to start investing in public health infrastructure and workforce the way we consider our bridges, our roads, our fire departments, where we're funding them, whether or not we're using them at that given time, because you need to have them in great shape when you need them. And so that is a conversation that we continue to push in Congress. There's a conversation that's happening in a lot of state legislatures about how do we really start thinking of this as infrastructure, investing in it as infrastructure, and ensuring that there's predictable, sustainable resources that we can hire up train folks, and then keep them and use their expertise long into the future. This seems like public health's big opportunity to make the argument for this kind of funding. Do groups like NACHO and and others that work in that space really see this as an opportunity to really convince the powers that be of of the value of investing in public health? Absolutely. What the pandemic has shown us is 
from a public health perspective, we've always known that other sectors, other policies really impact people's health, whether that be education, transportation, housing, economic development, all of those pieces. But what the pandemic has shown us is that all the other sectors of society really rely on public health as well. And that when there's a problem in public health, when there's an emergency in public health, it really can cause everything else to come to a standstill. So we're really hopeful that there's a clear recognition of the importance of public health, even when it's operating, you know, under the radar, behind the scenes, doing all those things to keep people healthy and safe they don't know about day in and day out. Um, So it's definitely an opportunity to focus on this to help bring attention to the work that has been done, but also the work that needs to be done long-term to support the system overall. Adrian Casalotti is with the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.